You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. I'm a veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage four prostate cancer. So during the initial stages of the COVID-19 outbreak, my doctors advised me to stay at home. But now, a little more than a year later, I'm fully vaccinated and I've rejoined society. But I'm still continuing this podcast when I'm calling the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who I've met throughout my 30 years in this industry. Plus, this year, I'm going to be calling some people and making new friends. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the Life of Fitz podcast. Time and perspective are amazing things. Maybe it was old age, maybe it's cancer, maybe it's just getting wiser, I'm not sure. But I can tell you this, the stuff about which I was passionate 20 plus years ago doesn't seem so important now that I look back. This week's Life of Its podcast is a perfect lesson in why the little stuff doesn't matter that much. Mark Mangino and I had a broken bond. We'd worked together in the early years of me covering K-State full-time, And then following the 1998 season, he and others departed K-State to go to Oklahoma with Bob Stoops. It was, you could say, a bitter divorce in some ways. And of course, I took K-State's side and Mangino and I didn't get along. Time moves on. He was only at Oklahoma for three seasons. That's amazingly enough. He won a national title as offensive coordinator in 2000. And then he was talked into being head coach at KU in 2002. But lo and behold, in 2007, he took KU to the Orange Bowl. A year later, they went 8-5, and and a year after that, 2009, Bill Snyder's first year back in Manhattan, Lou Perkins, KU's athletics director, finally won his battle with his own head football coach and fired Mark Mangino. Coach Mangino went on with little stints at Youngstown State and Iowa State, but mostly he's retired, at least for now. He's living down in Naples, Florida with his wife, Mary Jane, and he's got seven grandchildren from his two kids, and life is indeed good. Now, let's call Mark Mangino in Naples, Florida. Tim. Hey, Coach. How are you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing good, buddy. What's going on? We're having a Florida day here in Kansas where it's about 90 degrees and 80% humidity. So I thought I'd do that to honor you. Well, that was very nice of you. I'm honored that you would do that. <laughs> it's freaking Not to miserable. Not your friends. I'm going to step out inside outside to a real Florida day that's 90 and high humidity, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know this. I was born in Florida, so we'd always go back to Florida for the holidays. So my holidays feel tropical. It's kind of weird how that... Is that right? Where about? I was born in West Palm. West Palm. No kidding. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, we didn't stay there long, but uh, the grandparents would always... 
winter bird from Michigan down to Florida, so we spent a lot of holidays down there. But uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of have that hot and humidity born into me. But when, when it first strikes in Kansas, you're like, what the hell? It's Kansas. Every year. It's like, it shouldn't be this way. It's Kansas. Yeah, I know. Hey, there's only one thing you can depend on for sure in Kansas. The month of August is going to be near triple digits <laughs> and just as high humidity because it's training camp time. You got it. You got it. I can remember standing out there. Then I leave to go to Oklahoma. I said, wait a minute. This is worse than Kansas. <laughs> Kansas is cool compared to this place. I know. Well, let's go back yeah. to the start. When you guys first showed up um, at K-State in Manhattan, you had to kind of look around and think, what? Well, what's going on here in the effort to build a legitimate college football program? Oh, no question. You know, I, I've always said this, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been blessed to coach in a lot of good college football venues and bowl games, but the loudest crowd I'd ever heard was in 2000 in Manhattan when Kansas State blocked our punt. I have never heard a stadium louder than that ever in all my more than three decades of coaching. It was so loud. It was the, the, the noise was going through my, uh, through all of our mouthpieces into our ears. And it was like real shrill, like, like, wow. you know, a TV that was broken or something. And I, I literally had to take my headset off. That was the loudest I'd ever heard a crowd anywhere. That was a great college football game, man. It was, you know what? Kansas state, we had our best football team, and Kansas State probably had their best football team under Bill Snyder. And and not only did we have to play once, but we had to play twice. Yeah. And that's when I sort of figured, you know, maybe they're better off playing just one alignment here. <laughs> but then you still might, the top two teams still might play, so there's no avoiding that. But for two really good teams to have to play twice in one year like that, that's highly unusual. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, I finally remember those early years of just uh, back in the days when I was allowed to wander the halls and sit down with you and Coach Peterson and Coach Hudson, and you can just name them Venables and, and just shoot the shit. Just those were good times yeah. because um, it was all so new. We didn't know about football around here. I mean, we knew about bad football, yeah. but we didn't know uh, sure. what was taking place was absolutely incredible. Yeah, it was. It was, uh, I will term it it, at the time, it was a lot of hard work, but also uh, the guys on the staff, we we, we had fun. We did. We had a lot of good, you know, there was a lot of good stories to tell and a lot of characters there. And basically what it was, not everybody, but by and large, Coach Snyder rounded up a bunch of young guys who were willing to work hard. He'll put the plan together. We carry it out, and that's kind of how it worked there. You know, it, he was smart in his strategy. He didn't have a lot of money to pay guys, so he was looking for guys with ambition. Right. And, and uh, his model worked very, very well. That's pretty amazing looking back who all he hired on that first staff. Yeah. I mean, it really is. Um, it, when uh, when you went to Oklahoma in 98, starting the 99 season, um, Oklahoma had been down. I mean, it's still Oklahoma. There's no right. doubt about that. But they'd been down. Right. How how quickly did you guys realize this can happen? We can get this going real quickly. And, of course, Josh Heupel was a big part of that. But um, 
that you, you you knew that 2000 could happen that quickly because that is incredible when you look back over the, the years of Oklahoma football that you guys turned that ship that quickly? Well, to be quite honest, we didn't know that it was going to happen that quickly. We kind of went in with, the, you know, Bob, again, he hired mostly young guys, and you know, for the most part, that, you know, just for workers, you know, grinders. Uh, when we first got there, we knew that we had some really good players, and we knew that we didn't have enough really good players. Uh, but I thought one of, the, one of the things that caught on is that the kids bought into Bob's philosophy. Uh, the first year, you know, it was hard for the players because they didn't know how to work. Uh, I should say most of them didn't. Some did. And uh, once they realized we had standards that we were going to follow and we weren't going to deviate from them and we weren't going to give in to anybody, they sort of pulled together. But what was magical about it is, you know, we had some really good players, as you mentioned, Josh Heupel, Roy Williams, Rocky Kalmus. Uh, you know, I can go on and on uh, about quality players. But I think there were, uh, when we lined up to play for national championship, I think we had four former walk-ons starting in that game. Mm. So it was a good combination, too. It was, uh, you know, chemistry, so to speak. So that was, you know, that was a special group of kids, too. That's incredible. Uh, you know, you think of OU and just rolling the scholarship guys through. That's that's amazing. And in many ways, Bob and, and all of you kind of used the Snyder blueprint. Is that accurate a little bit? Well, I will put it to you like this. Uh, you, you can't try to copy somebody. Right. When you try to imitate somebody, you fell miserably. What we did is we liked aspects of, of the game that Coach Snyder uh, presented to us, the way he did business. Yes, we did. We There's no question, without a doubt, uh, me personally, I've borrowed a lot from Coach Snyder. But I am not Coach Snyder. He can, he can say things and do things that I'm not capable of doing. Uh, so you have to be yourself, but you, you, you run your team with your personality but some of the components or things that have been bothered, uh, excuse me, uh, been, uh, you know, kind of bought from other people, so to speak, you know, borrowed from other people. Right. Right. But the, the off the field preparation, I mean, that, that's not, it's not like Bill Snyder's the only coach who demanded hard work, but there was something uh, extra about what he did at Manhattan that you just, well, you can't do it nowadays because of the rules. Uh, but really, the success you had at at K-State, at Oklahoma, at Kansas, it all runs through what you did off the field, doesn't it? I mean, you guys, you guys were just always prepared. And it wasn't just work for work's sake. It was work. It was getting better at football, as Coach would always say, is get a little bit better every day. Yeah, and that's true. Get a little better every day. You know, don't look backwards. That's history. Mm -hmm. You can't change history. But getting to your point about the work, uh, yeah, there's a lot of work done behind the scenes, a lot of preparation. Uh, Coach Snyder wasn't going to be uh, caught off guard. When I went to, when we went into the games at K-State, every team we played, even people that K 
consider us that match. We always felt like we had a chance to win because we were well prepared. We knew what they were going to do. Uh, it was a matter of stopping it or on off on defense. We knew uh, the things that they like to do. Our defense would be well prepared on offense. We knew if there were weaknesses, where they were, and how to expose those weaknesses. Uh, so with Coach Snyder, you never went to the field feeling like you don't have a chance. You always felt like he, <clears throat> you had a chance, and, and and after he was there for a while, you went out there and expected to win the games. Yeah. You, anything less was a disappointment. Yeah, and selling that to the players. Once the players believe that you've won half the battle. And, right. Um it happened so quickly for you. After you left Kansas State, you go to Oklahoma, you have 99 where you coach the line, then you become OC and you, you direct that offense in a national championship. And then, dude, in 2002, you're the head coach. That's that's an absolutely remarkable uh, kind of climb right into not not just a head coach, but a big 12 head coach. Um what did you see at Kansas? Why did you take that job? And what did you see as an opportunity there? Well, it, it doesn't hurt when you're coaching a really good team. You know, when you're winning and, and you know, compete for championships, uh, a lot of assistant coaches, their market value goes up, and uh, I'm no different. Um, but uh, I really hadn't planned to leave Oklahoma. I had planned to stay there a while. Um, and just, you know, it's Oklahoma. It's a good place. It's a good reputation. Uh, I was very fortunate. My family moved from Manhattan, which they loved, and then moved to Norman, which they equally loved. And, and so I was very lucky to move from one great college town to another. Uh, as far as Kansas, you know, originally I, I really did. I, I never pursued the Kansas job. I, I wasn't. Looking at that time to move on, as I said, I, you know, things were going pretty good in life, so I didn't want to screw it up. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they were kind of persistent, and, uh, uh, you know, they asked me to go to campus for an interview, and I told them, no, that I didn't want to do that, that I was happy where I was. And uh, their brass flew down to Oklahoma City to meet with me at the airport there for a few hours. And, uh, you know, I was prepared, but I, I wasn't totally prepared. I, I, I didn't carry any papers, notes, or anything. But they had been adamant about it, so I didn't want to be disrespectful to another Big 12 school, so I agreed to meet them at the Oklahoma City Airport. And uh, after that, uh, there was a conference call there, but I finally told him that I would not come, <laughs> that I was settled in Oklahoma for a while, and even had Kenny Mossman put out a press release that I wasn't leaving. And they just came back again, and they were, you know, made promises and things like that about how they were going to help build the program. Uh, very few of them came true, but. Uh, <laughs> I went to Kansas. Uh, it was a hard job. I'm not sorry I went to Kansas. It was an incredibly, incredibly difficult job, the most difficult job I'd ever had. And uh, I found myself, uh, according to many around me, uh, uh, becoming uh, young Bill Snyder. And 
that's what it takes to win there. That's what I'm going to do. You know, with Coach Snyder, you know, there's times I sat in that meeting room and I'd listen to him talk. And, you know, going, coaching at Kansas State with Coach Snyder was like getting a Ph.D. in college football yeah. because he was just so meticulous. But there were things and he'd say, and I'd say, boy, I would never do that if I became an old coach. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I find myself in Kansas doing it. And I would, I don't know how many times I said to myself, now I know why Coach Snyder did what he did at Kansas State. I know very clearly now why he did it. <laughs> it's like becoming the parent, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it it was a it was a process, wasn't it, at Kansas? I mean, you had that long first season, but then you started to steer the ship. And when did you know um, it was going to be all right? It, you know that Mark Mangino was going to in Kansas was you guys were going to win enough games to get this thing going. Well, I had a hand around 2005 that we were making a lot of progress. Uh, we still weren't getting a lot of the top, top players in recruiting, but we were kind of getting guys that fit our system, fit our profile. And the two things that we look for, certainly good football players, but also guys that were mentally and physically tough and we like to get guys that had a chip on their shoulder and had something to prove. Because I had found out way back at Kansas State, we had guys that people thought would never make the field and end up being really good players for us because they fit the profile that we were looking for there. Uh, I, you know, it was a process there. It, it, it took time. Sometimes you take a step forward, you take two back, and then you take two forward again. It, it, was, a, it was a difficult situation uh, just because, uh, you, you know, you have so many other things that are priority at the University of Kansas ahead of football. Right. And, uh, and that's fine. I have no problem with that, but, you know, Probably at that time, if you had a list of 50 things that were the top priorities there, football didn't make the list. Mm. Uh, but how I decided to handle it is I was going to go out and look for coaches that were good teachers, very good teachers. And I also looked for guys that would recruit their tails off. You know, during my time at Kansas, we never had a five-star player we had one four-star player, and we never beat Oklahoma or Texas head-to-head -head on a player in recruiting. Yeah. So we had to develop players. We had to have a good out-of-season program. We had to be able to coach them on the field and, you know, maximize every repetition that we got. And then also some of those kids that we started recruiting, we started to develop leadership qualities and uh, were taking pride in the program and decided that uh, they were going to, as I talked to a minute ago, they were going to play like they had a chip on their shoulder, like they had something to prove. And that was kind of uh, what our team was made up of, and that's how we did it. That was amazing. And then, then a little short guy named Todd Reesing showed up. Uh, yep. When did you know he was special? Well... He showed up 
he graduated early because he had like a 4.2 weighted GPA. Wow. They put him in the honors program at Kansas the day he arrived at, in, uh, on, on, uh, on campus. And he was very, uh, very energetic, extremely smart. Came from a really good program at Lake Travis, uh, where they have a history of putting out quarterbacks. So he had been around winning. He had been around great people. He had been around tradition. But we thought he was going to be a pretty good player not long after he arrived. Uh, so he kind of, in practice every day, was really impressive. So we pulled his red shirt off him, I think, the sixth game of the year against Colorado because we were really not playing well at quarterback at all. We were good. If I didn't make a change, we were on the verge of a disaster. And he came in, and he right away he rallied us, uh, come from behind, win against Colorado, and then you know just played really well. So that fall, he and Kerry Meyer, um, who was the only four-star player we ever had at Kansas, they were going to compete at quarterback for the starting job. And Kerry pulls a hamstring and misses a good amount of the training camp. Meanwhile, Todd is looking terrific. So it was a no-brainer that Todd was going to be the quarterback. And from there on, you know the rest of the story. He just did a tremendous job for us. But the, the best part of that story is a couple of days after Kerry Meyer standing next to me at practice, uh, I called our offensive coordinator and receivers coach, and I said, hey, uh, men, Kerry Meyer can be the backup quarterback, but we're not going to have a guy that's six foot three, two 215 pounds, that runs a four five forty and has hands like a magician standing next to me with a clipboard on Saturday. We don't get those kind of kids. So I'm thinking, let's try him at the slot receiver. They agreed. I called Kerry in. He said, whatever it takes for the team, coach. He said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And the rest is history. What, 228 career catches, 107 in one season, probably the most prolific uh, receiver in the history of the school. That's a very unselfish kid. And he set the tone that, hey, if Kerry can make a sacrifice like that, we all can make sacrifices. Incredible. <clears throat> Incredible. What a special family the Myers are. Just, oh, tremendous family. Um, but, man, that that Orange Bowl season, 2007, it, it just kind of all fell in place, didn't it? It was absolutely an incredible, magical run, and then you finish it off by just whooping the crap out of, what, Virginia Tech there in the game. Um, what are your memories of that year? Well, in the spring of that season, we thought we might have a chance to have a pretty good ball club. We thought maybe perhaps with a little bit of luck, stay healthy, we might be able to win eight or nine. That was not unrealistic when you look at the kids we had coming back, you know, Akeem Tlaib and James McClinton on defense. Uh, you know, we had uh, uh, Reesing and, uh, you know, Derek Fine at tight end. We had a couple veteran offensive linemen. Uh, we didn't know running back. We had Jake Sharp, who's a hard runner, but a really small guy. And during his career, he, he suffered a lot of, you know, injuries because of his stature, but he could run and he was a hard nosed kid. 
But Brandon McAnderson ended up uh, answering a lot of our questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a one-cut guy, but he knew when to cut. He knew when to get his pads down. Rush for over a thousand yards. But having said all that, you know, we started to win. And, you know, when we got up around win number five, win number six, I realized that we had a new dilemma that we never had. We're winning. <laughs> and now everybody on campus and all the media and all the fans, you know, these guys become popular on campus. Everybody wants to be their friend. They're telling them how great they are. So we had to reverse strategy. We had to take these kids on and teach them that, you know, how many friends did you have last year when you were, you know, under 500 in the middle of the season? Those are your friends. Yep. These new, the new ones, just be polite to them, but it doesn't mean anything. We start losing and they'll be gone. They are your friends because we are winning. Everybody loves you because we are winning. That can disappear on one Saturday. And we had to take the approach to keep them uh, grounded. And and we did. And the kids did a good job of staying grounded. They really did. I thought we were going to have all kinds of problems because we had never won that much before. But um, it worked out, and week after week, we just looked at it the, the, the next challenge. Don't get caught up in who we play two weeks from now. You can lose two games by then. The game doesn't mean anything. We have to stay grounded. Let's look at the task at hand. Uh, terms I've always used, we've got to keep sawing wood. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do. You just keep sawing wood. Don't, you know, don't look ahead. Take care of today's business. Don't look behind you. You can't change it. And they can't, what, what's been done in the past can't help you. You got to get the job done each and every day, sort of going back to Coach Snyder's uh, be your best today. You know, let's get better, uh, get, let's get a little better every day. And, it, you know, it worked. We played in some tough games, some tough games on the road. And then uh, we played Missouri in, in, in uh, Arrowhead Stadium. And we got off to a really bad start, which I accept the blame for that. We weren't clicking on offense. We weren't making the kind of plays we normally do. And we got off to a bad start. After we got rolling, uh, we just ran out of time. We, we were scoring and moving the ball in the second half. But we just uh, we fell behind and, and couldn't overcome the deficit. And as I said, a lot of that's on me. We just weren't sharp in the beginning of the first quarter, especially. We were not very good, and um, I needed to do better. But after that game, we still thought we had a pretty good team, and we're hoping that some bowl game would take us, you know, a big bowl. And um, we were fortunate that uh, we got selected to play in the Orange Bowl. And, um, you know, we were a big underdog. But once again, as I told you, we had a bunch of kids that had a chip on their shoulder with something to prove. And we were able to beat a really good Virginia Tech team in Miami. So uh, it was a great season. Um, It was a lot of fun. The kids worked their tails off. They stayed grounded. They did everything I asked them to do. But if you would have asked me in April that year, we were going to be 12 and one and playing the orange bowl. And I would have said, thank you. I'll take it. I'll get on my knees. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's just how things worked out. Uh, it was incredible. You guys were, were fun, fun watch back then. Yeah. Well, one of the things uh, I got hit, hit a lot 
is every, everybody would say, well, you guys didn't play Oklahoma or Texas. And I'd say, yeah, good for them, lucky them. <laughs> no, we had a pretty good team if we were going to beat them it'd be that year I told Bob Stoops that one time too I said Bob everybody said we didn't play you he said well so what I said well we we would have beat you guys <laughs> he laughed he said, he said I'm not saying you would or wouldn't he said but we'd have to play that game to figure that one out that's awesome Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's funny how time changes things. I remember when you were at Kansas and and K-State had uh, seen Bill Snyder retire and Ron Prince came in and how difficult as a K-State person and someone that covers K-State to watch you beat the crap out of Ron Prince three years in a row. But now as I look back, I think I speak for Wildcat Nation, Mark Mangino, I would like to thank you for beating the crap out of Ron Prince three years in a row um, because it helped get rid of him. <laughs> that had to be – I don't want to put words in your mouth. What was that like, going up against K-State, coached by someone different, and just pounding them repeatedly? Well, you know, after I left K-State and returned to play there with Oklahoma and and then the beginning with Kansas. When I got there, it, it feels like one of those places that was home for a while to us. And, uh, you know, we went in there, you know, it was the same environment, all the same faces to greet you. Uh, you know, er- everything was about the same. So it brought, it brought back memories. Uh, but when Coach Snyder wasn't there and we played Kansas State, I didn't have that same feeling. Uh, I, I hardly knew anybody on the staff. I right. uh, hardly knew anybody at all uh, that was left there. Uh, and it just felt like another team that we were playing. And, you know, uh, the only thing that was the same was was they were dressed in purple. 
that's about the only thing I could tell you because it was pretty much foreign to me. And, you know, we could have been playing Kansas State or we could have been playing Montana State, and it wouldn't have made that much of a difference to me. It was like that was gone. That's interesting. And, you know, in hindsight, it did feel foreign even to someone up close like myself. It was all so strange. And I don't think it was because Bill Snyder wasn't coach. It was it was almost like Ron Prince wanted to cast aside all Snyder things uh, because he was smarter, which is comical. Well, well, if that's the case, that was a big boo-boo. <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, we're not just talking about any football coach here. You know, I joked a few years ago with a – the head coach of a team was going to play K-State. And he said, you know, he said, how do you convince your kids that this we're not going up against one of the greats of all time? He said, we get off of 70 and we turn on the Bill Snyder Highway. He said, we drive on the Bill Snyder Highway to the Bill Snyder Family Stadium. When we get off the bus, there's a giant statue of this guy <laughs> looking right at you. He said, then when you come out to play, he's standing on the other side of the field coaching. He said, what the hell? He said, you got to play your best to beat those guys. He said, it's intimidating. I said, well, it really is. I said, they made that place really something special. And uh, that's the feeling I got when I go there. And um, to be quite honest with you, uh, why you would want to erase any uh, likeness of a legend like him in your office is beyond me. Uh, I don't get it, but you saw the results. Yeah. Yeah. They speak for themselves and, and not just losing, you know, cause the, the records weren't awful. It was just alienating people. You can't do that. You gotta have allies. Uh, but you overlapped one year when coach came out of retirement and uh, what were your thoughts when you see Coach Snyder back on the sideline and uh, they struggled a little bit in 09, but they were starting – it was a different team. You could tell it was a, it was more of a Snyder team. Yeah, they went back to the Snyder way of playing football, you know, uh, move the chains, don't get uh, too fancy, play really good defense, try to get the edge in the special teams, which they're always well coached in. So you knew that, you know, Coach Snyder was back and, and that, you know, I didn't want him to come back. I was hoping he, he wouldn't come back. I thought he was really enjoying retirement, but I made a mistake in, in thinking that. But, um, you know, he was back. And then I think that, that night we played, I think, what was the score, like 14 oh, yeah. six or so. Uh, and we were stinking it up, and he was stinking it up. And I, I can't remember. Coach Snyder whispered something in my ear after the game. Something like, he said, that I, I'm going to paraphrase here. He said, the two worst offenses in college football were on display there tonight. <laughs> I said, I agree. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it kind of set the clocks back a little bit. It felt like pre-World War II football in some ways. It was not not real pretty. Right. Um, so you get to the end at Kansas and it was, a, you know, an awkward ending. I don't know if that's the right word. Uh, any regrets about Kansas? Anything that went on there? You know, I've had plenty of time to think about it. Yeah. And I think anytime you're involved in something, you always think you could do something better here, better there, or maybe do this better, that better. 
But, Tim, I got to tell you, the overall operation of the football program, the the way we dealt with the players, the way we treated the players, uh, you know, I have no regrets. I mean, you know, uh, uh, we actually had good kids there. We just had great kids there, but somebody else had a plan for the football program. (laughs) <laughs> and it was beyond my control. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, my my feeling was if my services were no longer wanted there, all they had to do was call me and not have left. And the way it was handled was just, you know, it was. It was awful. It, it was meant to. It was meant to destroy, not just to fire, but to destroy. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason for that. I never did anything that would that would require that being done. But it's behind me. I'm at peace with myself. Uh, I gave Kansas uh, my best every single day there. Uh, I enjoyed the players. I'm still going to weddings and baby showers and you name it. Um, we just got back from Jimmy Holt's wedding out in Colorado a couple weeks ago. I mean, my relationship with my players speaks for itself. Uh, to this day, there are some players that have that played at Kansas have disdain for the place, uh, for the way my situation went down. But I've talked a lot of them into letting it go at your alma mater. Uh, you know, your friends are going to go back there. Enjoy it. I'm not really bitter about it. I went through some stages, you know, I was angry and for maybe a month. Then I was bitter for about six months. And after that, it was like, I've got so many friends and family and former players and stuff surrounding me and, and, and showing appreciation for what I did. And I appreciate what they did that, uh, you know, they, they have to deal with, they have more, to, they have more, to discuss than I do about that situation. Right. And I've left it. Kansas is a great place. My Mm -hmm. daughter went to school there. My son got his uh, MBA there. Uh, uh, My son-in-law got his MBA there. My son got his uh, master's there. We have tons of family and friends at the university. Uh, I have nothing against the institution itself. I do not. But it, it didn't have to be handled the way it was. I would totally agree with that. And as an outsider looking in, and I really was an outsider in that situation, it struck me that uh, your boss, Lou Perkins, didn't like not being the smartest guy in the room. Fair? Well, uh, Lou's an elderly gentleman, and I understand he has some health problems, so I'll reserve any comment that I have about him. Uh, I saw it close up here as a – Different personality in John Curry than Lou Perkins. Lou was very, you know, loud and boisterous, and and John Curry was like the the junior high hall monitor. Um, <laughs> but he had the same kind of thing with Bill Snyder. You know, he 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 wanted to fire Bill Snyder uh, for whatever reason. He's building a file. It was just crazy to watch an AD to see this happen at two different places. An AD that works so yeah. hard against their own self interest just can't get out of their own way. Yeah. Well, you know, college athletics has a lot of egos. Yeah. And I will be honest with you. The biggest egos aren't the football and basketball coaches. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, uh, John Curry, I'll tell you an interesting story. He was over at KU or 
in Lawrence on business one time. Now, I didn't know John Curry. I knew who he was, but I had never met him. So I'm sitting in my office with a player, and my secretary rings and said, uh, John Curry from Kansas State's here to see you. I said, okay. So I break up. I tell the player I'll talk to him later. I open the door. He doesn't say, hi, I'm John Curry. He walks around and starts looking around in my office. So I'm saying, boy, this is really weird. But I don't have any secrets or anything in there. <laughs> and I do have a nice view from my office window into the stadium. So he's walking around. He's walking around. I said, uh, John, can I help you? He said, yeah, we're thinking about doing some renovations over in uh, Manhattan. He said, and I heard this building's really nice, so I wanted to come and see it for myself. I said, oh, well, that's nice. He said, well, nice meeting you, Coach. What a strange guy. He he just wanted to see the inside of my office. I said, you know, that doesn't, you know, usually another Big 12 AD doesn't show up, walk around my office and walk out. But, hey. Stranger things have happened. Oh, my gosh. Those those were uh, interesting times to cover K-State sports, indeed. Um, How's the family, Coach? How's the family doing? Hey, hey, Tim, we're we're doing great. We're very blessed. Uh, We just had our granddaughters here for the week, and um, uh, I don't know why I'm able to talk to you on the phone, because I usually need a two-day nap after they leave. (laughs) But I'm up and running today. Uh, everybody's good. You know, my daughter and her husband are in Oklahoma city. Uh, he's a banker and she works, uh, I believe her title is, uh, assistant director of admissions at, for graduate school at Oklahoma city university. Oh, cool. And, uh, Tommy has four little boys. He lives in Austin and he's the offensive coordinator at Lake Travis high school. And, uh, they're very happy down there in Austin. Uh, so we're, Mary Jane is doing good, uh, healthy as can be, uh, getting after my butt every day. So uh, if you hear of any jobs are open, Tim, how about give me a tip? Because <laughs> it was easier coaching than all the uh, things my wife got me doing every day. Yeah, she's uh, she's always been a motivator. Is that the right word? Is yeah, yeah, something like that. But she had a she had a bout with breast cancer, right? She beat that. Yeah, Tim. Um, oh, about a year and a half after we left Kansas, um, we were actually out in Hutchinson, Kansas. Tommy was coaching at Hutch at the time, and she felt a lump on her breast that she thought was unusual. So we went to just a local doctor there at Hutch, a really nice guy. I wish I could remember his name. He was a fine gentleman. He he really was he was the right doctor to, to give that kind of news to Mary Jane. So uh, we got back to Florida and we got she went to a surgeon. He removed it. Uh, certainly it was benign. Uh, they took three of her lymph nodes as a precautionary measure. And then um, she got radiation, 33 treatments, and she uh, also had chemotherapy. Hmm. She goes once a year for a checkup, and thank God they've all been good, and uh, she's going again in August. 
but I appreciate you asking because she is doing very, very well. We're, we're very blessed that uh, she is her old self and and doing, living life the way she wants to. That's and, awesome. and speaking of that, Tim, I have uh, I have not talked to you, but I have followed your journey in your bout with cancer, too. How are you coming along? You know, I'm on a, a, a very similar path. I mean, kind of caught it by accident. Um, had my prostate removed. I had 39 radiation treatments, which I always tell people now, I, I don't really have problems with my cancer. It's the treatments mess me Oh, I, I believe it. Um, I have avoided chemo. That would be the next step if it rears its head again. But it had moved into my bladder. I'm feeling fine. I feel good. Um, good. As much as a, a aging fat guy can feel. Um, I, yeah, I joined the club. I went to the doctor and and the nurse was like, I don't understand how you're in this good of health. Your blood pressure's great. Your cholesterol is awesome. And I go, I don't understand either because I'm doing absolutely nothing that should be good for my health. I sleep a lot. I do that. I sleep well. That's good. So, how's your health? You good? Hey, I'm good. I'll tell you what. I'm. I am. I'm very fortunate. I feel great. You know, I'm probably in better shape now than I was ten years ago. Uh, in fact, I know I am. Um, you know, I'm still pain in the butt. But uh, yeah, you know, I I stay active, and you know, I spend half of my uh, Half the year, I spend the winters in Naples, Florida, and then about four or five years ago, Mary Jane and I bought a home up near our hometown in western Pennsylvania, so we spend the summers there. And it's fun because you get to see all your family up there and friends and have a good time, and then when you're tired, you go back down to Florida and take it easy. So it's been good for us. Nice. Very nice. Um, So your daughter has all girls and your son has all boys? Yeah, is that amazing? She has three girls and my son has four boys. Well, that divides up the activities in some ways. I mean, how old are the girls? They were just down there in Florida with you. How old are they? Yeah, well, let's see, 14, 10, 8 are the girls, and the boys are uh, 10, 6, Three, no, almost four, and the youngest is a little more than a year and a half. That's a good spread. That's a, yeah, that's fun, Coach. Well, here's the deal, Tim. When the girls come and visit, we visit them. They they are so much fun, but they are exhausting. They require more attention of you than the boys do. The boys wrestle on the floor. They go out and play ball and things like. The girls, you know, they want to they want to put makeup on my face. You know, I'm sitting here. With, I hope nobody ever gets a picture of that. <laughs> I've got makeup. They put glitter in my hair. They they make uh, what do you call it? Uh, bracelets and necklaces when we had a beads. <laughs> you know, I hope nobody ever gets win one of those pictures because it, it it could be really embarrassing. But the boys, they'll play on their own. You know, they want to play ball and stuff, but that's it. Well, after Kansas, you took a little break. You you ended up back at Youngstown for a year and then Iowa State. Just had to get that last bit of coaching out of you? <laughs> well, I didn't know if I was going to go back or not. But, yeah. you know, of course, Eric Wolford played for us at K-State and been a lifelong friend, and we've we've been close for years. 
he just called me out of the blue one night and he said, Hey, would you come up to Youngstown and help me coach? And I said, well, of course not. <laughs> he said, come on. He said, he said, we're close to making a playoffs. He said, I need some veteran help like you. He said, you, so, you know, Wolf, he'll beg and plead, you know? And I said, well, you know what? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll come up there, but I won't commit to more than one season. I said, Mary Jane and I will get a little condo up in Youngstown. We'll come up for a year. Well, I got to tell you, Tim, it was fun. It was great. It was like being back in college. You see all your old friends. You know, I'm not a big drinker. I have never been a big drinker. That year I was at Youngstown, I bet you I drank more beer <laughs> in that one year than I had the previous 25. I mean, it was fun. You're with your buddies. You know, you're always doing something. So Wolf said, you know, he said, you think you'll come back next year? I said, hey, having this much fun, I might. So uh, Paul Rhodes called me out of the blue. I don't know Paul Rhodes uh, at all. Paul had called me and offered me the coordinator position. So here we go again. I'm, I'm at a place, like Oklahoma, I'm at a place that I plan on being for a while, and then I'm happy there, and, you know, I'm going to call it a career after I leave Youngstown. So Paul was persistent and everything, so he kept, you know, he wanted me to go to Iowa State for a visit. I said, I've been there uh, 18 times. I said, I don't need to go to Iowa State again. <laughs> I've been there for plenty of games. So I, I met with him at the Pittsburgh airport. We had a good talk. And then when I left, I, I felt like, uh, I don't want to move again. You know, we're close to home to our families. We've got our place in Florida. But Paul said he really needed an offensive guy, and he was willing to do things to make it better. And so I went. Now, my tenure there was not very good. And the blame for that is me, because when I got there, I realized that there was no, no overlap at all from other people that I've coached with or, or for. I coached for three Hall of Fame coaches, Jim Trussell, Bill Snyder, Bob Stoops. Right. Philosophically, every aspect of the program, there was no overlap at all. It was completely foreign to what I, the environment I was used to working in. And to be very, very blunt, it's my fault because I should have been, I should have did more due diligence just in saying that I know what Iowa State's all about. Um, and it, it, it was a bad fit. I mean, I was, from the day I got there, I was totally uncomfortable. I was constantly worrying about are we getting enough time to do this? Are we emphasizing the right things? Blah, 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 blah. And that went on for quite a while. I worked hard because I know no other way to do it. I coached the kids up, but I was miscast at Iowa State. And I made the decision to go there, so I don't point the finger at anybody but myself. Interesting. Interesting. And that have you had temptations to get back in coaching since you left there in 15? <laughs> Well, there's some people that have dangled some bait in front of me, if that's what you mean. Uh, so far, I didn't clamp down on it. Now, I will tell you this. I'm not out looking for a coaching job. I am not. But if something fell in my lap or somebody called me and I thought it was a good opportunity, 
I would seriously consider it. I still have a lot of energy. I have a lot of enthusiasm. I go visit college NFL t- teams all the time. I go help high school teams insert offenses and defenses and things like that. I'm in tune with the game. I know what the game's all about. Am I going to send out resumes? No. If somebody called me and said, Mark, we think that this might be a job that fits you and this is what we're willing to do. No, it doesn't. I'm not talking about a top 20 job, no. But a program that fits you and this is what we can do to help get better and everything, I'd consider it. I'd consider it. I always thought you'd end up as a head coach at Youngstown. I really did. I really did. Well, you know what? Uh, It's kind of interesting. I love Youngstown State. That place has been good to me. Uh, They've helped me uh, both as a student and as a coach. There's a lot of people there. Uh, you know, Bill Narduzzi gave me my first college coaching job. Uh, you know, Pat's father at uh, Pitt. Uh, and he has since passed. But there's so many people there that have been good to me that I've thought about it. But one of the problems is at that level, uh, most of those programs are run on really, really tight budgets, yeah. really tight. Haven't been at Youngstown. I mean, gee, we didn't even have a secretary out front to answer the phone. It would ring all day. I mean, you know, we just didn't have the money. We had great facilities, a, a great university. If it wasn't for Youngstown State University, the city of Youngstown would probably cease to exist because they retrained uh, you know, people that lost their jobs in the mills and factories mm-hmm. and railroads get get better jobs. It's really a great place. But uh, you know what? For some reason, that never came about. I never pursued it. Who knows? Maybe uh, maybe I get a job there as a ball boy or something. <laughs> what do I know? I I always thought when Bill Snyder would come out of retirement and the coach had an academy, it just seemed like Army, Air Force, Navy fit how he wanted a coach, but I didn't get that one right either. So what do I know? Well, he, he'd be perfect for that. I mean, if he was in an academy, uh, half his problems would go away. I know. <laughs> you know, guys are going to go to class. Yep. They're going to show up for everything on time. They're going to be yes, sir, no, sir. All he has to do is coach football all day. He'd love it. He'd be in heaven. I know. I always thought it'd be perfect for him. It, yeah. your, your recruiting's different. You, you, yeah. You're not out there trying to get the five-star guys. You're trying to get the guys that, that fit in an academy, and, and you can play a different type of football. No I, question. I, I wonder what type of football he would play if not. You know, he he came so close to the single wing <laughs> with yeah, Michael Bishop. Right. He was just playing with things. Coach, yeah. it's been great, man. It's good to talk to you. I know we've had some rocky times in the past, but uh, I don't know if it's age or cancer or uh, I'm just done with the bullshit. I'm just done with wow. with being mad at people and being childish, and, and I've just changed my way of thinking. So I love oh, yeah. you, man. I'm glad you're doing well. Well, hey, Tim, thanks. It's great talking to you. I always thought you were one of the good guys around Kansas, at, 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 at least most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be good all the time. I can't. No. no. Mark. But, Tim, it's been great talking to you. Uh, I wish you well and good luck in your journey with uh, fighting off this cancer. 
and uh, you can call me anytime you like. Okay. Let me know if you're ever up this way. Okay, Tim. Okay, I will. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. If there's one thing about Coach Mangino you can always count on, it's the fact that the guy can tell a story. He's really fun to speak with. And I remember in the early days of me doing what I do for a living, sitting in his office, talking about Kansas State football recruiting, because for much of that time, he was the recruiting coordinator on top of being a position coach. Man, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I mended that fence. Maybe it's time to think about doing the same. And remember, men, if you're 45 and older, get to your doctor, get your PSA score. The prostate-specific antigen score is the best way for early indication of prostate issues and prostate cancer. So get your baseline score so if something does go wrong, you'll already be one step ahead. And in honor of Mary Jane Mangino, ladies, make sure you're seeing your doctor regularly so breast cancer doesn't get an early grip on you. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'll talk to you real soon. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.